After leaving Columbia to head for the South Pacific, Jack, Sheldon, and Norman would find their own little paradise in the jungles of Panama. In a life full of stories that are straight out of a Hollywood movie, it was these years living off the grid that Jack referred to as his happiest. Panama was different for Jack. It wasn't the luxury of Norman's Key or the status of how they lived in Colombia, but it fit right in with his Robinson Crusoe lifestyle. He was happy with less. He was happy living off the land. It was ideal for him, on the run, but still being able to live in his version of paradise. So they spent a long time looking for land, a long time. So they stayed with a friend that they had met there um, who kind of had a, a sketchy political background and was an exile, uh, but was rich and knew a lot of people. And he was able to show Jack and Sheldon around. And, uh, you know, really it would be better to have a drone or a helicopter because it's very hard that with roads to, to navigate and see where they wanted to be. But they located this beautiful little peninsula and they thought this is a great place to build on the blue lagoon it was just something really straight out of a movie yeah and their friend helped them build it i mean they hand built it and it was a hut and there's a picture of it in the book and you know a friend that i have gotten close to through the book visited them there and, and told me all about it and there's a painting and uh, it, it just really is a storybook but it's very um, rustic, very Robinson Crusoe type, living off the land, living off the grid, a very exciting time for them. Yeah. So he's on a little lagoon, so you can't get there yeah. unless by boat. So he had a little boat. And, and the waters between there and land apparently were a little treacherous because he told me that Sheldon didn't like it mm -hmm. when they went through there. But, you know, he was an expert sailor. Um, and then he had to, like, take a bus and then a taxi cab and go into town. He had to put real clothes on because he lived in bare feet in a straw hat. He had to put real clothes on and he hated going to town. He had to get like a part for the generator or something like that. Most mm -hmm. of the food they got on the island from right. their neighbors that they grew their own food. And of course they had their own garden, gobs of coconuts. In fact, when he went to buy the land to build his hut on, they determined the property or I should say the value of the property by how many coconut trees were on the land. That's how they determine the value. Wow. So you had to track down the woman who owned it and how many coconut trees are there. And I think she exaggerated, but it was so cheap. You know, what the hell? Here. Yeah. I think he was extremely happy living off the land. Uh, he was delighted that he could live on $500 a year. He'd have to go in town once in a while to get something, but very li much living off the land and not having to rely on the establishment or money. So he knew that money was a nemesis, that having to go away to work to make money, you know, drew, drew partners or spouses apart. You know, you spend a very limited amount of time with each other and then you gotta go to work to make money so you can survive. And that kind of tears relationships apart. So he loved it that he was self-sustainable. He could live off the land and have this beautiful relationship with Sheldon. And I think he was very happy with Sheldon. And he could have lived that way for the rest of his life. So he was very much into nature, loved animals. He stopped eating flesh during those days because he, he loved the deer and his pet pig and all these creatures that he went snorkeling with and, and the birds and the spiders. And, uh, you know, living off the land, it, it was truly Robinson Crusoe type um, existence. And he was very happy. And I know he was happy with Sheldon. and. Those were the best times of his life. And his dog, um, Norman, that he loved so much 
and he didn't have to go to work. So he hated that part of the establishment. In his younger years, when he had to go to work and make money, he got ripped off twice by a business partner who then made him decide, screw this. I, I don't want to be part of a traditional, even honest life. I'm just going to go live the way I want to live. And he made mm -hmm. good money smuggling, and he never, as far as I know, he never smuggled drugs or he transported them to hurt anybody. He saw it as a service like alcohol and tobacco. And there were people who paid, who loved it and paid well for it. Now tell that to the parents of people who have lost children due to drug overdose, right? So we're not making excuses. This is just how he saw it. He said many times that was the happiest time of his life. As May Kay and Jack continued to build a trust in the retelling of his adventures, for the first time she felt that Jack was being less than truthful. He told her he'd completely retired from the drug smuggling game in Panama, but May Kay wasn't so sure that was true. As May Kay explains, there were reasons he may have left this out of his story. Because everything he wrote me, and all of our interviews are in writing, okay? Everything's in writing. We had phone conversations, of course, but the phone conversations are listened to, okay? Everything's recorded right. from prison. Right. So he had to be careful what he told me. So I think that with information I have, and this led to his second trial, that he did retire. He went to Panama and retired, but according to some sources, possibly he was running low on money, possibly, and looked into dabbling back into it. I'm not saying that he did, but consider dabbling and talk to some people about it. Let's put it that way, okay? Mm -hmm. So no, he never told me that. He told me he retired. He totally retired. Well, is he gonna to admit to me that? How can he? He can't put it in a letter. He can't tell me on the phone. While Jack was in hog heaven, living off the grid in Panama, Sheldon missed her mother terribly. Sometime in 1986, Jack and Sheldon would build a guest hut so mom could come to stay with them. Mom, who arrived with a number of medical ailments, quickly regained her health thanks to the leisurely lifestyle. One problem, she was lonely. Talk about the ultimate third wheel. In a decision that would haunt him, Jack invited mom's new boyfriend to travel to the lagoon so he could visit. Little did Jack or Sheldon know who he really was. The bigger question is whether mom knew the truth about who her boyfriend really was. Lust was his nemesis, lust. And in the book, he says, you might think because I was a smuggler, it was contraband that brought me down, but it, it was really lust. So lust attracted him to Sheldon initially. The mother was jealous because he was not interested in mom and, you know, 32 years younger, interested in the kid, you know, that is, that's kind of shocking. And the mother always had it out for him. So she really was responsible, according to the information I know, I don't know the whole story, you know, for his being captured because, you know, she was into drugs and one of her suppliers happened to be a DEA agent and had seen pictures of mom and Sheldon and Jack on Norman's Key. And being the undercover agent, he knew all about Jack and Norman's Key. And he said, well, gee, I'd sure like to 
go with you to wherever he is in Panama. And for some reason, she brought him and, and told Jack that I'd like to bring my boyfriend because I'm lonely. But if you don't want him to come to the hut, you know, to their private location, that's fine. Right. You let me know. Well, Shelvin apparently missed her mother. This according to Jack. And Jack loved Shelvin and wanted to please her. So agreed to let mom come. Now the mother had come, I think a few times before, that's how she knew where they were located. Uh, but now brought Jim and he knew where, now he knows where they are and waited a year until they were able to um, capture Carlos. And then they went and got Jack. Well, Jack continued living his best life in Panama, completely unaware that the DEA now had his location. Things had taken a turn for the worse in Colombia. Okay, that's a gross understatement. Colombia was a bloody mess with Pablo Escobar waging a war against his own government. Sunday, they buried the man who might have been Colombia's next president, Senator Carlos Luis Galan. A hundred thousand people turned out in Bogota to mourn him and to mourn their country which is now gripped by such violence. Today, the drug lord struck again, bombing political headquarters in the city of Medellin, home of the most dangerous of Colombia's drug cartels. And they issued a communique declaring it is now total war in this latest round of violence that began last week. A week ago yesterday, Judge Carlos Valencia, driving through the streets of Bogota with his bodyguards, was machine gunned to death. On Friday morning in the city of Medellin, State Police Chief Colonel Vladimir Franklin Quintero and his driver were machine gunned to death. Then Friday night, Senator Galan arrived at an outdoor rally to deliver a political speech. He never got to do it. This is the spot where Senator Galan was murdered, in the town square of the Bogota suburb of Soacha. The flowers there marked the place where he was standing when the bullets cut him down. It was a brutal murder, but there have been brutal murders before. And a crackdown is on just now against the drug dealers, but there have been crackdowns before and nothing has come of them. So this time, will anything be different? According to some estimates, Escobar was responsible for killing about 4,000 people, including over 200 judges, and a thousand policemen, journalists, and government officials. Among his most vicious acts, the murders of Colombian Minister of Defense Rodrigo Lara Bonilla, presidential candidate Luis Carlos Galan, and an attack on Colombia's Supreme Court and the bombing of Avianca Flight 203. It was after these horrific acts of violence that the Colombian government agreed to change their bylaws and would now extradite cartel leaders to the United States which led Carlos later into the jungles of Colombia to avoid capture. The president of Colombia uh, was feeling a lot of pressure, and there was a lot of pressure on him. And uh, he decided that he was going to extradite traffickers. And Carlos later was his number one target. He flees into the jungle. The Colombians raid a house, and they find about two to three million dollars in cash there. And then pictures of Adolf Hitler splattered across the walls of that residence. It's open season on Leda for the DEA. Working with the Colombian National Police, they target every likely hideout. 
Leading the task force is Mike Kane. As we were doing this, we were getting closer and we would bring pressure on Lee Dare, pressure that uh, he didn't like, pressure that made it much more difficult for him to do his job. While Lader tried to evade capture in the jungles of Colombia and Jack was living his best life in the jungles of Panama, both men were unaware that Ed Ward and his gang of smugglers hiding out in Haiti had been detained by Haitian police. They soon would be handed over to DEA agents and immediately offered to cooperate against Jack and Carlos. That wouldn't hold a candle to the ultimate betrayal, however. Pablo Escobar, the man most responsible for the horrific violence taking place in his home country, contacted the Colombian government with an offer. He'd give up his good friend Carlos later to take the heat off himself. As the saying goes in the drug game, trust no one. On February 4th, 1987, acting on a tip that came from Escobar himself, Colombian National Police raided a ranch town and captured later. Within hours, he'd be sent to the United States, which had sought his arrest since 1979. Colombian law enforcement officers have not said exactly how police were led to Later's house in Medellin, but that Later was set up by one of his alleged partners in the cocaine cartel, Pablo Escobar. Escobar sees the need to appease U.S. and Colombian officials who are applying increasing pressure on him and his organization. And Letter gets offered up as the sacrificial lamb and essentially turned over by Escobar and Medellin cartel associates. The plane from Colombia carrying reputed drug king Carlos Later touched down in Florida early this morning. Security was heavy. Gun-toting federal agents circled the courthouse in Tampa where he was taken. Justice Department officials describe Later as one of the most violent drug dealers ever captured. Jack and Sheldon, living happily off the grid on the lagoon, were blissfully unaware of Carlos's capture. Now, the DEA shifted their sights to Jack in Panama. With Carlos locked up, Jack wouldn't be able to get a warning from any law enforcement on the take or use Carlos's connections to get him out of the situation. 72 hours later, their quiet little life in Panama would be shattered. May Kay picks up the story from there. It is fascinating in the book, and it reads out of something from a movie. I mean, his whole book is a movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, but they lived in paradise and they were isolated. You had to get to them by boat. You know, people can't just drive up and check out your house. They lived in this very primitive hut that, as we know, that he built and had the help of other people. But um, absolutely a, a very isolated situation where he lives. So if there are any strangers coming, you're going to notice them. And apparently uh, Sheldon had a beautiful garden up on a hill and she was tending to her garden where she had a view. Mm -hmm. And she sees these primitive uh, canoes, kaokos, or what they were called, uh, primitive canoes with several of them with men. Um, and they were Panamanians and Americans. But by the way, they were dressed and they figured out who they were. But initially she thought, oh my goodness. And she ran down and, and let Jack know. And, and Jack thought she was kidding. And Jack said, well, no, that's not her nature. She's not that kind of person that would kid. And he went and saw them. And the next thing he knew, these guys are armed to the teeth. They're on his property. They apprehend him. A guy takes out a picture and looks at it closely and looks at him and looks at the picture and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the one we're looking for. Handcuffs him. They take a... Shelvin and Jack, they leave the dog, and but they're looking for drugs. Mm -hmm. They're looking around for, for all these drugs and weapons, and there are none. Of course, Jack has his marijuana or whatever, his weed, and they may have had a small 
cocaine, but there was nothing really. They were disappointed yeah. um, that there was nothing there. And, and they took them away. They handcuffed them and took them away. And they slept on, on the floor of an of a office building that night. And they were taken in an airplane the next day to uh, Florida. And uh, it was probably a confiscated DEA plane. And they were just, they were scared to death. They were hungry. They were sleeping on the floor. And then they were separated. Yeah. No. You know? and, he, and he found out later that she was taken to a hotel mm-hmm. where she was able to call her parents. And they came and got her. And, and according to Jack, she was never questioned. Or at least nothing ever came of it if she was questioned. I mean, it was she, she was let go, scot-free. The DEA had a press release ready to go for the moment they finally took Jack into custody. Here's what they released to the New York Times on February 8th, 1987. Federal agents and Panamanian police have arrested a man they say conspired with Carlos Later Rivas, a Colombian who has been accused of running the world's largest cocaine supply ring. The suspect, Jack Carlton Reed, 56 years old, of San Pedro, California, was arrested in Panama on Friday. Mr. Reed was charged in a 12-count indictment alleging that he, Mr. Later and others conspired to import 4.4 tons of cocaine into the United States. Also, as a side note, as a card-carrying member of the Animal Lovers Club, one of the toughest images for me in this entire adventure is poor Norman being left behind and abandoned in the jungles of Panama. For a number of years, Jack was unaware of what became of his beloved golden retriever until Sheldon confirmed his worst fears while speaking to him in prison. What really broke my heart, and you'll read this in the book, is that they never knew what happened to Norman, but eventually... Sheldon got news of what happened to Norman, and she told Jack, this according to Jack, that she said, I know what happened to Norman, but I'm not going to tell you because it will upset you. Speaking of Sheldon, in a peculiar twist after being taken into custody by the DEA and Noriega's henchmen, she was never arrested or even questioned. I'm not saying she did anything wrong, but anyone who knows a thing or two about how law enforcement operates also knows that they will arrest and harass and threaten family members or loved ones of drug traffickers to get their target to play ball, to make them flip, unless there was a prearranged deal. In other words, was mom involved in the takedown of Jack Reed? And was she aware at the time of her boyfriend's visit to Panama that he was actually an undercover DEA agent? Makey believes those suspicions to be accurate. As far as we understand it, and this is our side of the story, Sheldon would have to clarify her side of the story. There was a deal made with the DEA that if, if I give the location, if the mom gives a location, you cannot hurt or touch my daughter. Let her go. Mm-hmm. So she was never questioned. Never. Many of us who have discussed this speculate that mom revealed where they were or what played some role in it, maybe not the innocent, come with me, my boyfriend, right? Uh, who kept an eye on him then for a year. They knew where he was for a year, waiting to catch Carlos. Sure. Thinking then that Jack would be the star witness against Carlos. That was the whole point behind it. But somewhere there was a deal made where Sheldon would not be questioned. Now, Jack loved Sheldon. He didn't want any harm to come to her. This was a great adventure for this young lady, but Mm -hmm. obviously she knew what was going on. The wild adventures of Jack Carlton Reed had come to a crashing halt. His days as a pirate were officially over. His days as a co-defendant were just beginning. 
As he sat in custody, a DEA agent told Jack he, his destiny was to become the star witness against Carlos Later and the Medellin cartel in what was about to become the most expensive, most publicized, and longest-running drug trial in United States history. If Jack decided not to cooperate, the government told him, he could rest assured that he'd receive the maximum penalty allowable under the law. Next time on Glamour Profession.